Now on Netflix. Inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption in logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com insights. Hey guys, welcome back and thanks for joining me. I'm your host, Sherry. I wanted to give you guys a quick heads up. You know I hate banner, but I'm just going to talk for just one minute. I've been doing these shows once a week for months now. I decided to change it to every other week because I feel like I need some extra time to be able to continue to provide you guys with the best quality of a podcast that I can. You know, when I first started doing this, it was months ago and I've been doing them once a week. And it was in the beginning of the pandemic. I had just lost my job of 14 years and I was unemployed for four months. I had a lot of time to devote to this and it was great because it helped take my mind off of a lot of things. My main reason was that I had contacted so many professional podcasters about covering the Ali Herbert case and no one would do it. I wanted his story out there because it needed to be told and it was fascinating. So I'm glad I did it. Well, since then, I've found a new job and, you know, it's going great, but I don't really have as much time now to devote to these anymore since I'm gone almost all day. And like I said a moment ago, I want to give you guys the very best quality I can. So I'm going to switch this up to every other Wednesday. Um, there's still going to be great stories and, and you know, and I, and I really appreciate everybody that's reached out and told me how much they like it. I'm glad you guys liked it or else I wouldn't have kept doing it. With that being said, let's dive right into one of the strangest cases I know. Today, I'm going to talk to you about a lady who is from Boston, Massachusetts. Judy and her husband, Jeffrey, traveled to Philadelphia, where he would be attending a pharmaceutical conference. Judy tells him she's going to go out and visit the Liberty Bell and Chinatown and other touristy areas in Philly while he's at the conference all day. She doesn't return to their hotel room. This is episode 19, the case of Judy Smith. At the time this story takes place in 1997, Judy is 50 years old. Some quick 1997 facts so you guys can remember back then. Bill Clinton was president. Titanic and Men in Black were in theaters. Princess Diana was killed in a car crash. And funny enough, hand sanitizer was finally available to the public in 1997. It had been used in healthcare since 1988, but now you can actually buy it at the store. 
To give you some background info on Judy, she was born and grew up in Boston, Massachusetts. She got married right after she graduated high school, but the marriage didn't last for very long. Her husband fled to Sweden to avoid being drafted into the Vietnam War. She married another man named Charles, and they have two children together, a son and a daughter. This marriage didn't last for very long either, and they divorce. So Judy is young, and she has two marriages behind her. She decides it's time that she just works on herself and her two small children for a while. She is going to raise these two kids all alone while working multiple jobs and going to nursing school. She had no time for herself, just work, go to school, raise two kids, and deal with schooling and so on. It wasn't easy, but she did it. She became a nurse and was able to get a good-paying job. Things were getting easier. Now, all this time that she's in school, she's managed to stay single. She didn't want a relationship. She raised her kids into two great adult children. She liked taking her kids on trips when they were growing up. They had even traveled internationally and went to Europe and so on. She did a fantastic job with them. In 1986, Judy is working as a home health nurse for an elderly man who is dying. She would come to the house every day and give him his medications and bathe and clothe him. Well, she meets his son, who is a successful lawyer. His name is Jeffrey Smith. Jeffrey and Judy hit it off right away and begin a relationship. Jeffrey already has a child of his own as well, and he's divorced. So they're both products of failed marriages. They don't want to get married anytime soon. In fact, they wait 10 years to get married. Judy's like, you know, I've had two failed marriages. I'm not about to have a third one. And Jeffrey's fine with this. She wanted to make sure this was the right person. In 1996, they decide to marry and they have this beautiful, extravagant wedding. Things seemed to be going pretty well. There wasn't any real marital issues. She was still working as a nurse. Her husband was a lawyer. These two are older. She's 50 and he's around the same age. So they're both middle-aged and well into their careers. They both have adult children. They're not some young couple just starting out. They don't have money problems or any of the things that a lot of young married couples have. It's now 1997. Jeffrey and Judy have been married for around six months at this point, and they're living in their home in Boston. Jeffrey has to attend a pharmaceutical conference in Philadelphia. He specializes in healthcare law, so he's going to be one of the moderators at the conference. Judy is going to take the trip to Philadelphia with him, but she has zero interest in attending this boring conference, and I don't blame her one bit. She decides that she's going to go out and be a tourist while he's at the conference. She would take the Flash Bus, which is a bus that drives around Philly, and you can sightsee all the tourist spots. They also had plans to attend a cocktail party at the hotel after the conference, and then they were going to meet up with some friends who were from the area, and the two couples would go to dinner. On April 9th, 1997, Jeffrey and Judy pack their suitcases and head to the Boston airport. They're getting ready to get on the plane, and Judy realizes that she forgot her ID. She knows the airport employees are going to tell her that she's not getting on this plane without proving her identity, nor does she want to travel without her identification. So she tells Jeff, just go on without me. I'll run home, and I'll get my ID, and I'll catch the next plane. I'll meet you at the hotel in Philadelphia. I'm just going to be hours late. Jeffrey flies to Philadelphia alone. 
Around 10 p.m. that night, Judy arrives at the hotel in Philadelphia. Her and Jeffrey order room service pizza and hang out in their room for a while, and then they go to sleep. The next morning, Jeffrey wakes up and he leaves Judy sleeping. He heads downstairs where the hotel is serving this breakfast buffet. When he's finished, he goes back to the room. Judy is awake and getting in the shower. Jeffrey is telling her how wonderful the breakfast is and that she should hit it up before she goes out sightseeing. He was really excited about it and how wonderful it is. Jeffrey heads out to the conference and Judy is getting ready to head out sightseeing. They agree that they would meet back at the hotel at 6 o'clock p.m. where there would be a cocktail party for people who attended the conference. Jeffrey has a long day awaiting ahead of him moderating this conference and Judy has a big day awaiting ahead of her. Jeffrey isn't worried in the slightest about her safety. Judy is well-traveled. She's been lots of places. She's street smart and she's feisty. She also had no criminal history or mental illness. She's independent and able to do things on her own. At 6 o'clock p.m. that day, Jeffrey is back at the hotel for this fancy cocktail party where he is going to meet his wife. He doesn't see Judy anywhere, though. The only explanation is that she's either running late or she's upstairs in their room getting changed. He waits a few minutes and he mingles with all the other partygoers. And then he goes to their hotel room and she's not in there. So he goes back downstairs to the party and then back to the room, and then back to the party. He did this several times, and he still can't locate her. He realizes that it's getting pretty late and thinks maybe she stopped to help someone. Remember, Judy is a nurse, and she is always helping people in need. Jeffrey even talked about her helping on a flight one time. There was an AIDS patient who needed help, and no one wanted to go near the person. You guys know I always bitch about the 90s and the intolerance at the time of different topics. Well, this was one of them. There wasn't much education about AIDS back then, and some people thought you could get it by like catching a cold. Well, Judy knew better, and it's admirable that she would help this person. Finally, Jeffrey reaches out to a hotel concierge, he tells him the situation, and the concierge begins calling different hospitals. No one with Judy's name came up in their database. Jeffrey leaves the cocktail party and gets a cab and asks the driver to follow the path of the flash bus that Judy was supposed to have taken that morning. There's no signs of Judy on the street, though. Jeffrey calls Judy's children and asks them if they heard anything from their mom, but they hadn't. Also, this is still the 90s, so there's no surveillance footage of the hotel or her coming and going. Nowadays, there's street cameras all over Philadelphia and in every building. You're pretty much always on camera wherever you go. Around midnight, he goes to the Philadelphia Police Department to report his wife missing. The officer says that he has to wait 24 hours before he can file the missing persons report. A detective pulled him to the side and said, look, if you really want to pursue this. I'll start a, rep a report in the morning. He seemed annoyed and didn't treat this with any kind of urgency. Jeffrey goes back to the hotel room and spends the whole night awake worrying about where his wife is. Well, remember this conference that Jeffrey was moderating? There were some pretty high-profile folks there, including the mayor of Philadelphia and a member of the House of Representatives. They get word that this prominent lawyer's wife is missing, and they escalate the missing persons case. 
Jeffrey goes into the police station the next morning and officers are waiting there to take his report. They are suddenly treating him with respect and interested in helping. One of the officers said the commissioner wanted a copy of the report when they were done. You guys can see right now what money and power can do for cases with this example. Days are passing and there's no sign of Judy. Jeffrey has missing persons flyers made and some folks come forward and say they saw her. She was with some homeless folks. She was also acting erratically and was caught masturbating in front of an open window and speaking in tongues. The police find this woman and she's strikingly similar in appearance to Judy. She's just a very wild version of her. They did look a lot alike, but it wasn't her. In fact, Judy's son saw a photo of the woman and he was shocked at how much they looked alike. Obviously, this woman's character is not like Judy. Remember, Judy has no mental illness history and didn't behave that way. She was a well-respected nurse who carried herself very well. As I'm researching, I'm feeling so bad for the other woman, and I hope she was able to get the help she needed. A few more sightings come in, but none of them panned out. They checked the hotel room, and Judy's belongings are there, but they noted that there wasn't any cosmetics, like makeup and a hairbrush, but Judy's children tell police that this was normal because she always carried that kind of stuff in her red backpack, which was what she was wearing the day she disappeared. Apparently, she wore this red backpack everywhere. You can see it in the picture at the top of your screen. She also left behind $500 in cash in her hotel room. Well, you guys know what happens next. When a woman goes missing, what's the first thing they do? They question the husband. 85% of women killed in the U.S. are killed by a male that they know. Most times, it's a husband or a boyfriend. Jeffrey knows this. Remember, he's a lawyer. He knows it's coming, and he's prepared for it, and he's cooperating. Well, the police noted Jeffrey may have killed her back in Boston, and that's why he flew alone. It was later confirmed that Judy's airplane ticket was used that night she flew into Philadelphia. Now, if it was 2020, all they'd have to do would be to look at the hundreds of surveillance cameras in the airport and see her boarding, boarding the plane. They would have also been able to track the location of her cell phone. But since it's 1997, all they, the only verification that they had was that her ticket was indeed used. Back then, police also relied on eyewitness accounts. Nowadays, technology would be better support for the case. The police want Jeffrey to take a polygraph. Jeffrey's a lawyer, and he knows this could implicate him, and he said he would only take the polygraph if it was administered by the FBI. Well, the FBI aren't involved in this case, so they're like, well, we're not going to give him one because it's not our case. By the way, it's completely normal to decline a polygraph, even when you're innocent. If a person is innocent and they have high anxiety, like myself, they could easily fail a polygraph, even if they haven't done anything wrong. I'm not a lawyer, but I think it's a good idea to just avoid them. Judy's adult children get questioned about the relationship their mother has with Jeffrey. Remember, they had just gotten married a few months before. They seem to be a normal couple, not some madly in love, unrealistic couple. They had their arguments just like everyone does, but nothing out of the ordinary. Judy's children and her friends make it clear that Jeffrey is not one to hurt his wife. He was kind, honest, and gentle, and a real good guy. Plus, you guys see how much he's doing to assist with the searches. Another thing that is pointed out 
is that Jeffrey was morbidly obese. I'm talking like 400 pounds overweight. He doesn't get around very well. It would be difficult for him to physically dispose of a body when he's using a cane to get around and he walks really slow. They also have 300 physicians and politicians who say he was there at the conference that day. Jeffrey eventually gets cleared as a suspect. It took a lot of effort. A desk clerk at the hotel told police he remembered seeing Judy when she came in. So that makes it clear that she really did come to Philadelphia. I know it's just one random person that said it, but it's all they really had to go on. The desk clerk also noted that when Judy showed up, she was carrying a bouquet of flowers for her husband, and this detail that Judy had brought flowers wasn't released to the public. The police and Jeffrey knew, but no one else did. So this further solidified that she took a plane to Philly, and she did spend the night in the hotel eating room service with her husband. Even though no one from the convention actually saw her, it was expected because she wasn't hanging at the convention with her husband. She went off to spend the day alone. Judy's case makes it to the evening news, and it's a pretty big story in Philadelphia for a while. Again, all the sightings that were coming in, though, didn't pan out. Jeffrey is also spending a ton of money hiring his own private investigators and putting money towards these searches. I agree that Jeffrey isn't a suspect. E even knowing how this story is going to end, I truly don't think he has anything to do with his wife's disappearance. As for reports that she may have disappeared on purpose, these didn't hold much weight at the time. Judy's doctor said he gave her a physical two weeks before and she was in a good mental state, nothing out of the ordinary. She also wouldn't just disappear without telling her children. It would be extremely out of character because she had a close relationship with her children. More reports come in from out of the area. One was at a mall in Deptford, New Jersey. A woman said she saw someone who looked a lot like Judy shopping in a store and she said she was buying a dress for her daughter. This seemed credible because the woman said she was wearing a red backpack like I described to you earlier, but the woman was never located. Another report came in that Judy was spotted outside of a Wawa at Rittenhouse Square outside of Philadelphia. The man stated he saw a well-dressed white woman who resembled Judy and he didn't know she was a missing person until the next day when he's reading the newspaper, but the woman was never located. Remember me telling you that Jeffrey had all these missing person flyers made? Well, he was mailing them to hospitals all over the country, police stations as well. He ended up mailing around 9,000 of them. He wants her photo out everywhere. It's a good thing that he did that because Judy is located and it's nowhere near Philadelphia. On September 7th, 1997, this is five months after Judy left the hotel. A father and son were deer hunting in Pisgah National Forest in the mountain area of Western North Carolina. This is a remote mountainous area that is 650 miles away from Philadelphia. They noticed some scattered bones that were about 300 feet apart. They had been buried and animals likely dug them up and scattered them. In the middle was a shallow grave where there was a partial skeleton that was fully clothed. I'll get into what items were found with the skeleton in a minute. The medical examiner determined that this skeleton belonged to a woman between the ages of 40 and 55 
Whoever she was had expensive dental work done and severe arthritis in her left knee. So there's a local emergency room doctor who's reading the newspaper and sees there was a discovery of skeletal remains, and he remembered seeing a flyer with Judy's photo and that she was missing. He wonders if this could be the same person, since the description of the remains noted the woman was between 40 and 55. So he faxes a copy of the article to the Philadelphia Police Department. A detective there asked Jeffrey for a copy of his wife's dental records, which Jeffrey provides. The dental records were sent to the medical examiner in North Carolina, which is where the skeletal remains are. To everyone's surprise, it's a match. The skeletal remains found belonged to Judy. Her skeleton was found 650 miles away from where she was last seen in Philadelphia. So let's get into what was found at the site of the remains. The weirdest part to me is that she was dressed for hiking, like thermal underwear, jeans, hiking boots. Next to her body buried was a blue book bag, a pair of men's sunglasses, and $167 in cash. They also found her wedding ring. The clothes that she was wearing were not Judy's, according to her family, nor was the book bag. So from the face of it, it looks like she was a hiker that got lost and died. Except there were stab holes in her shirt and her bra and cut marks on her bones. Judy was stabbed multiple times until she died and then buried there. Now, the puzzling thing is that robbery obviously wasn't the motive. She was found with almost $200 and her wedding ring. Why did someone kill Judy? Why was Judy hiking in a state park in North Carolina? Remember, she had a severe arthritis in her knee, according to the medical examiner. This helped police to completely rule Jeffrey out because Jeffrey was morbidly obese. There would have been no way he could have climbed even a third of that mountain. There was also no evidence of her taking a rental car or public transportation to North Carolina. When asked if Judy had ever been to North Carolina before, her family said she once visited Jeffrey while he was in a weight loss clinic in a totally different part of the state. She's never expressed any interest about wanting to go to North Carolina. How did she even get there without using her credit cards and so on? One theory is that she took off, abandoned her family, and never contacted her children, which is completely out of character, but there's not a lot to go on. She was then encountered by a serial killer, hence the reason no money was taken. Serial killers aren't really known to rob their victims. They're just in it for the thrill of the killing, and that's it. There's also the theory that Judy was killed elsewhere and then dumped in the mountain area of the state park where she was found. The problem with this is that it would take someone who is in tip-top shape to carry a body as far up a mountain as Judy was. I'm talking someone who works out and bodybuilds every day. Judy wasn't a small child. She was an over overweight adult. Not only that, but this is a state park where people are out with their families all the time. You would notice someone carrying a body for miles up a mountain. There were numerous eyewitness sightings of a woman resembling Judy in Asheville, North Carolina, 18 miles from where her remains were found. This woman actually chatted with a shopkeeper and shared specific details about herself to indicate she probably was Judy, including that she was from Boston, her husband was an attorney, and they had attended a conference in Pennsylvania. 
But keep in mind, these details about Judy were released publicly, so it could have all been made up, or it could really be true. We'll never know. Some speculate that maybe the skeleton was misidentified. I'm not convinced that this is true. They found her wedding ring and her jewelry. Her teeth matched exactly with her dental records, and she had extensive work done, like dental crowns and things, and they all matched as well. It's hard to believe that this was a misidentification. The hardest part of the story is that it's never been solved. No one knows how Judy got to North Carolina. No one knows if she went voluntarily or was picked up in Philadelphia. One thing that puzzled Jeffrey was that if she wanted to disappear, why wait until she got to Philadelphia? Why not just leave her home in Boston on a regular day? Why go back and get her ID, fly to Philadelphia to rejoin her husband? She had an opportunity to leave right there. And also remember, she left $500 in her hotel room. Jeffrey Smith died in 2005 at age 59, never knowing what happened to his wife. He invested so much money and resources trying to find her. I don't know how to really wrap this up. A lot like the Terrence Williams case, if you guys, or Terrence Woods, sorry, the Terrence Woods case. Remember, I just couldn't figure out how to really end the story because it's so puzzling and we're left with more questions than answers. Much like other cases I've talked to you about, this is unsolved. I'm glad Judy's body was found so quickly so her family wasn't holding out hope that she was alive all those years and then discovering she had died years before. Her killer is still out there today. No one has ever been charged. That's it for this week. Rest in peace, Judy and Jeffrey Smith. Take care and much love to you all.